maybe it's an English-American thing. There is not an English-American thing. In London is NBA, in Africa is NBA, in China is NBA. In For real, the NBA, the Nationwide Basketball National Basketball Association. I'm not going to tell you again, okay? National Basketball Association, okay? Thank you. In your opinion. So... It's a fact. Have a growing fan base who of basketball fans and, and an enormously passionate sports culture here in Britain as well. How much passion is there really for the NBA over here? It has a huge global following, right? right? Or at least it's done pretty well in China, but it struggled to make an impact in the UK. You sound skeptical. <laughs> um, well, you see, because we're soccer fans, I right. shouldn't say that. I'll get smacked for saying that. We're football fans here. We, in the we UK. call it football, okay. but. Um, how many springs? It doesn't have any springs in it. Why does it bounce then? It's air. There's air in the ball. Well, there's air in the swim. How come the swim ain't bouncing? Yo, man, don't play ahead, yo. It's because I was from the UK. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Double Clutch Podcast. I am Matthew Wellington, your host, and I'm joined today by uh, the co-founder himself. We've got Andy Duncan. Hello. Back from his stateside appearance. <laughs> yes. And uh, I'm fighting through, well, pretty terrible internet, to be honest. Um, obviously, we haven't done a show in about seven days. Uh, my internet's been rocking a, a magical 1.5 megabytes on a wired connection. So Whoa, dizzy speeds that is. Whoa. I know. I can't even watch Whoosh. League Pass. It says uh, insufficient bandwidth on both my iPad and my PC. So a bit annoying, to be honest, when you've got all these amazing games going on. I managed to catch a couple of the Game 7s from Round 1 that were luckily on BT Sport. But since then, the uh, the coverage has not been amazing. But anyway, we won't harp on about our, uh, BT's coverage because we tend to do that quite a lot. We're going to go through quite a few things on today's show because we've got a bit to catch up on. We're going to talk a little bit about, about Round 1, just highlight some of our favourite players, some of our favourite moments. Um, we're now going to discuss Kevin Durant and obviously him winning the MVP award. We've got Mark Jackson's firing in Golden State to discuss quickly because a lot of you got involved with that on Twitter. And then we'll be covering all of the conference semi-finals which are taking place at the moment. Right Hold up on, to... dude, you're British. It's semi, not semi. Whatever. Oh. <laughs> so oh, I was just in the flow really? then. I was, I was just in the flow then. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We'll cover those games and uh, we'll finish with the Nets and Heat. So that'll be the final one. Um, obviously, they play, what is it? Well, they'll play tonight. So the Blazers and the Spurs will play tonight and the Heat and the Nets will play again tonight. So that'll be game two of those series. So we've got quite a bit to catch up on. But um, I'm going to start with giving and- asking Andy who's who were his um, standout players from round one, really. There's, there's so many. Uh, you know, you and a bunch of other people were trolling me for... Vince Carr, and yes, the the guy was pretty clutch, and you know, taking the the Spurs to a game seven. But I I think there's there's probably two names for me that that stand out. One because you've never heard of him before, and that was Troy Daniels. Um, just being able to come on and nail that three pointer when the Rockets needed him most. The guy who's been bumped around the D League, but don't get me wrong. That's all he does. He's, he's, he's like a bonner, you know, it, they only bring him on to shoot the three and he done exactly what they needed. And, you know, that was just fantastic to see. But then, you know, I, I think, I think we're going to have a new contender, um, for Mr. Clutch, don't you think? And that'll be, uh, <laughs> Mr. Damien Lillard. Uh, you Dame know, face. pull out your Dame face. Woof. You know, what, what can you say about that shot and, and that particular player that hasn't already been said? You know, when, when the stakes are at their highest, you know, I can't think of a more 
important shot that he's going to take in his career uh, to date. That was just it was something to watch. So I, I think those, those two in particular um, have, have been a highlight for me. Yeah, and in case you have been living under a rock the last week and haven't seen the uh, the Damian Lillard uh, series clinching three, I'd go and check it out on YouTube or find some form of coverage of it because you know my internet had gone down that night, so I, I was kind of annoyed. But I watched the highlights in the morning and just a, a stunning game. And you know, it's the first time a series has been clinched on a buzzer beater in a long while, so it's definitely worth watching for sort of new NBA fans out there. Um, I completely agree with you. I think Troy Daniels was fantastic. Uh, you know, kudos to Kevin McHale for, for bringing him on and, you know, risking him really when he could have gone with other players such as Garcia. But, you know, big, big, big time plays from, uh, well, he is, he's a big time rookie. So he, he did a good job. Um, Dwight Howard for me was sensational throughout the whole series. Houston may be going home early, but he was incredible. Um, I think it was game two in particular. His first half, his first quarter, sorry, it was just, sensational and he was averaging above 20 points every game of the series and you can't put any fault on him it's it was all down to the fact that James Harden shot below 40% which is not normal for him so um Dwight Howard was superb LaMarcus Aldridge came out in those first two games in Houston and blew everybody away just you know an unbelievable performance from him I think Steph Curry was good he wasn't as good as he was last year I mean I think you'll agree last year he kind of blew us away yeah he but the thing is I think People are starting to get to know he's not so much a one-trick pony, but Golden State rely on him far too much. And yeah, they're very heavy on him. It, it's when it's when you look at a, a good team that that roughs up, you know, the the star players on an opposition. Look look at what Memphis done to Kevin Durant. You know, that's exactly the treatment that Stephen Curry got, and he he's, he needs to develop that part of his game to be able to take that on board and maybe not shoot as much as he wants because he didn't get many open locks he needs to he needs to facilitate a little bit more in my opinion and i think that's the only thing that let let him down and as as you mentioned he last season he was just a a breath of fresh air nobody really knew how to handle him whereas now we're 85 games better off in understanding what his game is all about so uh, i think i think he needs to to work on a few tricks and being able to to take that double team and use it to Golden State's advantage. Round one for me kind of showed how good the point guard sort of position is right now in the NBA because you you look at what Damian Lillard was doing. Um, Jeff Teague was phenomenal for the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, you're the only one who picked the Hawks to beat the Pacers out of all of us. And, you know, they, they they took them to seven games in the end, which was, which was incredible considering the the kind of the lack of talent they've got really when you look compared to the Pacers. But Mike Connolly as well helped massively to extend that series with uh, the Thunder. And, you know, you could argue that if uh, Zach Randolph hadn't been suspended for that game seven, then they would have, they would have advanced because they were causing the Thunder all kinds of issues. Um, Kyle Lowry, John Wall, there's multiple point guards in this round of the playoffs this year who were just phenomenal. So that position is so strong at the moment. And a lot of them are really quite young. I mean, even, I can throw in a veteran like Tony Parker and his masterclass in game seven against Dallas was phenomenal. And he's carried that on to the, the, the conference finals, which we'll be talking about later, but he's been incredible. And it's just great to see, you know, a position in the league that's got so much depth and so much talent because, you know, some of the positions in the league, we look at them and we kind of go, yeah, there's only like four or five really, really great players in that position. Yeah. And that, the the way the game has developed as well, you know, 
to the the point guard and the shooting guard seem to rotate as well. You know, the, there's so many different players that can play multiple positions now, and that's also adding to the depth. You know, I don't think there's many sort of out and out traditional point guards in the league because that they need to blend with the modern game. So, you know, if if you're looking at those sort of players, there's just such a depth and variety of people on any given day who can do what's asked of them. You know, Chris Paul, how many times have you seen Chris Paul hit, what was it, five jump uh, three-pointers in a row? I can't remember the last time I saw him take a three-point shot, <laughs> let, let alone hit five of them in a row. Normally you see him breaking ankles with his crossover and dealing some sort of assist out to somebody somewhere. But yet there he was on the perimeter nailing it. And it just shows you how diverse these, these players in, the, in these positions now need to be. The new generation of point guards as well, Lillard and, and Wall in particular, have got this fantastic ability ability to uh, penetrate the paint. And we saw it against the Bulls from from the Wizards, and Lillard did it all game against Houston. And it was just incredible to see these, you know, these young kids who were absolutely fearless. I mean, Damian Lillard with that game-winning shot, so much pressure on him. Portland haven't been out of the first round in 14 years, and he hit it. I mean, fair enough, he was wide open, and you know, Houston really can't defend, but. To hit that is fantastic, and he's been doing it all season. And the guy's walked into the league, and looks like he's been playing since like the mid two thousands. And it's great to see. I'm going to talk quickly about some of the moments of round one because it was a phenomenal playoffs, uh, a phenomenal first round. Sorry, I mean we've mentioned Troy Daniels' big shot in game three already. What about Vince Carter's sort of well, his game winning redemption really because he missed a shot in the playoffs before. Yeah, you, you had fun trolling me on that one, um, uh, along with a, a, a but, <laughs> but it's one of those things, you know, he, he is that player. I, I think the fact that he's starting to miss shot now just shows you that he's getting on a little bit in his career. But then when he's feeling it and he's got his groove, he can nail those sort of clutch opportunities when they get presented to him. And I, I thought he played pretty well. The, the Mavs in general, I was really impressed with the way that, that they played as a team. Um, and I know they were up against my Spurs, but the way that Splitter was defending Nowitzki, I thought was just fantastic because he's got, he's got that fadeaway pullback jump shot that is just almost impossible to defend against. But yet here's Splitter getting up in his grill and not giving Dirk much opportunity. And then that forces them to spread the play. And on that particular game, Carter picked it up and he ran with it. And, you know, you can't take that away from him. And the, the game seven, you know, it, I went into that so apprehensive, wondering which way the result was going to go. Couldn't believe we were going to get a 30 point blowout in a game seven. Well, that series in particular, Dallas and, uh, you know, the Spurs, they don't like each other. So the fact that we got that in a first round matchup was incredible. I, I thought it would be difficult for San Antonio because, you know, Dallas have got a lot of veteran players on that team. You look at Sean Marion and Vince Carter, they've been there and they've done it before. So they were in there to cause hassle and they did that. And I thought some of the, the younger players on the, uh, the, the Mavericks roster shone for them as well. But well, at the end the of the day, we did. Blair, you know, he kind of let themselves down when he was kicking out. Um, and, and then obviously gets himself ejected in game six. You know, well, I think the one thing we saw was the bench discrepancy because <laughs> the yeah. Spurs bench is ridiculous. And, and I think that's, that's going to be paramount to how far they go because I think in, um, 
can't remember which game it was, but the bench outscored the starters, and that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, um, and, and they're, they're going to need to rely on that bench because they've had a game seven here. Portland I, I is going to give them a tough run, so you know they're going to be tired. They really are going to be tired. They need to try and get Portland boxed out as quick as they can so they can rest and recuperate. Yeah, it's going to be a difficult series, and we'll talk a bit more about that later. But the final moment for me that I've just sort of thought off the top of my head was actually just that opening night in Toronto in the Air Canada Centre. However many thousands of fans it was outside the arena watching the game on the big screens and all the pressure on the Raptors and they came out and kind of flunked game one, but they did themselves proud throughout the whole series. I thought they went on the road, they played fantastic in Brooklyn and then to come so close in game seven to have their shot blocked. Uh, Kyle Lowry had a shot blocked by Paul Pierce was just sort of the perfect ending if you're a Nets fan, but an upset if you're, a, if you're a Raptors fan. And I thought that whole series just defined the playoffs really. It was incredible just watching this new team, full of momentum with the city behind them just going for it. It kind of reminded me of the Warriors last year, except obviously they didn't advance. True, true. I think one thing that added to that series as a whole was the media coverage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, two of the papers just going at it with each other, you know, one ruling off the dinosaurs and it just, it got, it got so out of hand, but it added to it, as you mentioned, you know, the Toronto fans, be it, be it ice hockey, be it NBA, they are out in their thousands to support their team. And you're right. It was probably, you know, from, from a fan media, from the whole involvement and the hype that could go around a series. I think that particular one had it all out of everything. And we had a few game sevens, but I think just how much coverage that got, how many different outlets that we had for the, that particular matchups. So it was, oh, it was great to see. And, you know, I've been really enjoying these particular playoffs, you know, more so than I have done in a few years. Yeah, an unbelievable first round. And we'll move on quickly to the, the, the news that Kevin Durant won the, the IKEA MVP award. Um, I believe this was yesterday or the day before. Um, fully deserved, in my opinion. I mean, we did a podcast on who should get the MVP a while back. And I think most of us came out and said it should be, you know, Durant. It's kind of LeBron's time to sort of pass the torch on. The, don't, this, don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean he's the best player on the planet. This means he's the best player of, of the regular season. And he was phenomenal. He shattered records this season. And, well, he shocked everyone with his with his speech, really, because he mentioned everybody pre- pretty much bar himself. He went through every single player on his team. He went through all of the backs, backroom staff. He went through all the coaches. And then he even had a, a nice word to say about Russell Westbrook in the end, which everyone was giggling at because he, got, he st- sort of started off to saying, I think... You all thought I forgot about Russ, but he's kind of the, the reason he's here. Really sentimental. I mean, I watched this. I, I got this. I watched this on catch up and I'm, I'm not going to lie. It, it sounds pathetic and sad, but it, it had tears in my eyes at some point. Some of the stuff he was saying was so heartfelt and so warm that it was just, you know, a pleasure to see someone who loves the sport so much and appreciates, you know, what this award means. And I, I, I really hope him and the rest of the Thunder team just carry on from here because at the end of the day, when Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant are playing at the best of their abilities, the Thunder are unstoppable. So it's going to be interesting to see because, like Durant said, you know, Russell Westbrook is an MVP caliber player and it's an absolute blessed to play with him every night. So it's going to be fantastic for the rest of the series with this news coming out the other day. Yeah, he was, he was very humble in, in taking his award. Um, it's, it's been one of those that 
LeBron has been dominating and, you know... It got a bit boring. Well, not, not so much that. It was almost routine from the point yeah. of view. It's like, well, LeBron's got to get it. And, you know, I wouldn't have said that LeBron has had too bad a season this time around. It's just that Kevin Durant has, has shown what we all have already seen as NBA fans, just how good a player he has been. I'm I'm really surprised this is only his first one. But <laughs> we're saying that it's not going to be his last one either. No, he he should he, he might get another one next year and you know, he could even get a finals MVP if they get there, but there's a long way to go. Um he thanked his mum, which I thought was fantastic, like Well she's yeah. at every single game and he kisses her after every single game, so that was a given. <laughs> well she is and she but she actually came out afterwards and said she couldn't actually believe Kevin remembered all of those things that happened to him when he was, you know, a young kid growing up outside Washington. So the fact that he remembers all of the things like them getting their first apartment and all cuddling on the couch and things like that was fantastic. And I'll insert some of it here because it is worth listening to. I could speak all night about Russell, uh, an emotional guy who will run through a wall for me. And I don't take it for granted. It's days where I want to just tackle you and tell you to snap out of it sometimes. But I know it's days you want to do the same thing with me. I love you, man. I love you. A lot of people put unfair uh, criticism on you as a as a player, and I'm the first to have your back, man. Through it all, just stay the person you are, man. Everybody loves you here. I love you. And last, my mom. I don't think you know what you did. You had my brother when you were 18 years old. Three years later, I came out. We were stacked. The odds were stacked against us. Single parent with two boys. By the time we were 21 years old. Everybody told us we weren't supposed to be here. We moved from apartment to apartment by ourselves. One of the best memories I had is when we moved into our, our first apartment. No no bed, no furniture, and we just all sat in, in the living room and just hugged each other. Because we, that's what we, we thought we made it. And when, you, when something good happens to you, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to look back to what brought me here. And you wake me up in the middle of the night in the summer times, making me run up a hill, making me do push-ups, screaming at me from the sideline of my games at eight or nine years old. We wasn't supposed to be here. You made us believe. You kept us off the street put clothes on our backs, food on the table. When you didn't eat, you made sure we ate. You went to sleep hungry. You sacrificed for us. You're the real MVP. At the end of the day, you could not have a better guy representing the league. And I think that's what the MVP award kind of represents. It does represent 
the best of what the league has to offer. Um, Durant received 119 of the 125 first place votes from NBA.com and he, he ended up with a total of 1,232, which actually put him 300 points ahead of his near, nearest rival, which was LeBron James. And, you know, all of their focus now and all of his focus has got to go on to this, uh, this series with the Clippers, which has been phenomenal so far, but we'll get on to that later. Um, Gordon Chambers got involved. He put on it on Twitter. In my opinion, this should have been his second year as MVP. So Gordon's agreeing with you there, Andy. Yeah, there's not really much to say on that. There's, you know, when you've been watching the sport for, uh, you know, for the as long as we have and how much we've been about, it's it goes to show. And 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 some of those occasions, it's it's a bit odd as to, you know, you can clear clearly see a gap between the players and where the voting should go and it, it's it's odd sometimes as to, to how it works so yeah i agree you know th- this shouldn't really have been his first but there's going to be many more where this came from yeah so moving on to another team that was was well was involved in a game seven uh, the past weekend um the golden state warriors they've actually come out and said that they've fired mark jackson um after clashes with the management and the back office staff um they have basically got rid of a guy who won them 50 plus games and took them to the playoffs so it's an interesting one. I didn't think he deserved this. I think he's a great motivator. I think Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Berger, I think all of those guys absolutely love him. But at the end of the day in the NBA, if you don't get on with the guys who own the team and who run the team, then your position is never safe. So it was an interesting one. Um, a lot of people got involved with this on Twitter. Um, Andy, do you want to say anything before we read out some of these tweets? I, I don't understand this. I really, really <laughs> do not understand why you would do this. You know, would he have still been fired if they made it through to the semifinals? You know, had this already been a foregone conclusion? Has Phil Jackson been in touch looking for a coach and <laughs> paid, paid them to do this? You know, I, it, I can't think on any level where this makes sense because as you, as you've mentioned, all the players respect him. They really enjoy working with him. I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about him, but yet now here he is. He's away. He's gone. He's looking for a new job. And, you know, New York, you, you should sniff around and at least ask him the question. I think you'd be a good fit down there. Well, there's several high profile jobs available in the NBA at the moment. You look at the Knicks, you look at the Lakers, and there's a bunch of other teams looking for coaches as well. Um, George Carl's name say is high profile and Lakers in the same sentence. I did. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> I got, I thought it was 2010. Rewind. <laughs> um, there's been multiple coaches, in, you know, their names have popped up already. George, George Carl's been one of the big ones. Um, Stan Van Gundy as well seems to be the, the, the favorite right now. There's actually been billboards erected around San, uh, San Francisco asking him to, you know, move there. So it could be interesting, but. This was a, well, I don't think it was a shock. Everyone knew there'd been issues. I mean, when we had Ethan Sherwood Strauss on last month, he was saying that, you know, that they're not fully confident in Mark Jackson, despite how well he coaches the team and how well he motivates the players. But a lot of you guys got involved and very mixed opinions come from everyone. Um, Casey Bell, she put on Twitter, Mark Jackson fired by the Warriors, an absolute mess. What the flip are they thinking? Um, Atif Chowdhury, he put the Warriors GM as effed up big time in letting Mark Jackson go. Dumb move. Uh, Craig Baldwin, he put some good coaching gigs around the league. Don't think he'll be out of work for long, so he's agreeing with us there. Um, Jack McNally, who's been on before, Golden State Warriors coaching searching will lead to an explosion of, uh, Steph, of Stan Van Gundy posts. He'd be a pretty good fit with Curry. Damn it. I don't know why he put that at the end, but he would be a good fit. That's kind of what his magic team were like, wasn't it? So it'd be interesting. Yeah, There's so much talent on the Warriors team. 
does that mean that Howard's then going to end up <laughs> back at Golden? <laughs> yeah, maybe he's, regret, maybe he's regretting not going to them in the summer. That would have been mental. Um, Tino, he put a uh, terrible decision. Players enjoyed playing for him. More wins this year. Plus, uh, took the Clippers to seven without Andrew Bogut. That's massive. I don't understand. The, the appreciation he gets for taking them that far without one of their key defensive players is ridiculous. Um, Mark Naku, he put, seems like it was based on off-court issues. It's going to piss Curry off a lot, though. It's incredibly high risk. I agree with that because, obviously, Stephen Curry is coming up to free agency in a few years' time. So that could be an interesting one. And uh, Gary White, he finally put, harsh, I think the Knicks and the Lakers might be interested in him. So it's going to be interesting where Mark Jackson ends up. He won't be out of, out of work for long. And then it's going to be one of those things of, you know, is it going to come back and bite him in the ass in Golden State? You know, who's going to go in and, and pick up the pieces there? And how long is it going to take for the new coach to, to stamp his mark on it? It's It just makes no sense. Don't get me wrong. I think it's the right time of year to do it. You know, that's it. Season's done get a new coach in, but I, I don't understand with the firing of, of this particular one. I think, you know, St- I think Stan Van Gundy would be brilliant for him. I think he's a really good coach all in, you know, I, I think, I think New York maybe look more glamorous than Golden State. Um, I don't know. Look at the, ta- look at the team the Warriors have got. Well, no, yeah, yeah. If we're looking at it from, from a team perspective, yes, you know, it's a, it's an interesting debate, but, you know, if you're looking at the the razzle dazzle of, of the bright lights of New York City versus Golden State, you know, I'm not trying to to slag off Golden State, but when you're trying to compare <laughs> it to the city of New York, you know, it's it's quite a difficult decision to make. As long as you're making it on basketball choices, you know, do, would you want to try and work with Bogart or would you want to work with Stoudemire? I know where I would want to go if we're basing it on that decision, but it's. You know, they're going to have, um, pros and cons for, for anybody who's wanting to go there. So they're going to need somebody who can not only fit in with the basketball, but also with the lifestyle where they're going to go. Well, Good he luck. likes it. He'd be, I think he'd be a perfect fit because he likes to play sort of a 4-1. And when he was in Orlando, they had Dwight just sort of anchoring the paint. And then you had Turkaloo and all these other shooters based around him. And right now that is practically what the Warriors have got. And that's what they've gone to the last two playoffs. And they've played better when they've played, when they've played um, Harrison Barnes at the, the three or the four and switched Diggy around. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think the fact that George Carl is still available is always going to be in there. He's, he's, he was coached the year last year, did an amazing job with the Nuggets. So it's going to be really interesting, but I, I don't think Mark Jackson will be out of a job for long. He's such a motivator of men that, I think he's going to find it really easy just to, to walk into a, you know, another big organization. Um, moving on to the team that actually knocked out, uh, Mark Jackson's Golden State Warriors. We're all going to talk Clippers because, uh, they took on the Thunder in game one of the semifinals the other day. I did it again. You did. <laughs> you did. Next you'll be talking routers in, instead of routers. Oh, <laughs> me. Um, so we've got game one to cover because obviously we haven't done a show since then. So game one between the Clippers and the Thunder at the Chesapeake Energy Arena ended up in a road win, 122-105 blowout by the Clippers. Just an offensive, all, uh, an offensive onslaught, sorry. An incredible performance. The Clippers went 16 of 23 from the field and, uh, they scored 39 points at the end of the first quarter, which was just mental. And the Thunder could not keep pace throughout this game. Yeah. And, Chris Paul, as we already mentioned, he he just went completely insane. But then let's not also forget they've got the newly crowned sixth man of the year and Jamal Crawford as well. So there, there's a lot to answer for there. Instant offense off the bench. 
Exactly. It's it's one of those. I think this is going to be a very good series, and you could probably seven games. Well, I don't know. I, I'm thinking maybe six, but I don't know which way to call it because they're they're not they're not the best defensively, but yet both have got great offense, and it to to me is it I think is going to be reminiscent of the the Houston Portland series where it's just both teams going at it constantly and i think whoever puts in the best defensive performance over the series they'll be the ones who will be winning because it's just going to be so offensively led with these two teams it's it's a difficult one to call um but if if i had to put my money on it i, I would probably go with the clippers yeah and it was really odd to see the contrast in styles because obviously the thunder came out of that round one matchup with the grizzlies and they walked into the clippers you play a completely different style of basketball completely different style of offense and defense and you know it, it, it stunned them really um the clippers had a big lead going into half time they were up 69 52 and throughout the whole of that first half they were just making all the extra passes they found their open shots and you know on every possession they made something count and they turned it over three times which was that's that's nearly flawless basketball for you know for a whole first half so the, the fact that they did that kind of meant that the, the writing was on the wall pretty early on and then they kind of sealed it with a 13 to 6 run at the start of the third, which buried the Thunder really. They couldn't get back in the game after that, but Chris Paul was just phenomenal. 32 points off 12 for 14. And he went 8 of 9 from downtown. He only missed his last shot. And then he had 10 assists and only two turnovers for the whole game. So, you know, when Chris Paul plays like that, he's the best point guard in the league easily. It, it's not even a debate. You can't throw anybody in there. And if he does this again in the series, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens and see how the Thunder can guard him because Russell Westbrook was kind of getting run ragged by him the other night. Yeah, and I think that's the one thing that that lets the Thunder down. They don't really have, you know, the defensive prowess for that. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know what team has because I think Chris Paul, when he's on the dribble, when he's coming one-on-one with you, you know, Nine and a half times out of ten, he's past you or doing something, or you're on your ass because he's just done. His crossover looks really sloppy, but it actually it's amazing how much control he has of it. <laughs> True, and the, not only that, you can see how quickly it goes as yeah. well. Everybody falls for it, and I I just think that if, as you mentioned, if he if he's on his game, then it, it's going to be Clippers. Um, you know, as much as I've picked Thunder in my bracket, having watched them. In game sevens, uh, sorry, in, in the first series against the Grizzlies in, in terms of how the, the Grizzlies almost beat them up, um, and double and triple team Durant, it was the case of the Thunder needed to pick up the pace and, and adapt to that sort of style of play. So if we see the Clippers adopting a similar sort of approach, I, I can actually see them getting the edge in this particular series. Yeah, this one seems to be a popular series as well. Latif Chowdhury, he, put, he tweeted using the uh, hashtag me in the UK. I think it must have been about three in the morning, something like that. He put waking up at 3am to watch the Clippers and the Warriors. I do this because I love this game. That's the sort of stuff we like seeing. <laughs> oh, it yeah. is difficult to get up for these uh, West Coast games. To be perfectly honest, I'm normally recording it and yeah. <laughs> I'm watching it before I go to Although work. I have a point to make about the recording because we'll go on to game two, which I did record last night. And it went on for like another hour after the recording finished, which makes no sense whatsoever. Luckily, because I, I'm used to it, I recorded the other programs afterwards. But if you just going into it, not knowing anything about, you know, overtime and things like that, and it didn't even go to overtime, 
the fact that it overran by about 40 minutes just kind of really confuses me. And the fact that they, that BT and ESPN over here have no control of their programming guide really confuses me. It, that they could probably do it better if they, you know, had someone sitting up like actually working on it. <laughs> well, not, not so much even that, just, just looking at the games beforehand and over planning because all of them, you're right. You know, how many times have we seen a game that hasn't gone to OT? And yet, you know, you missed the last five, ten minutes. Yeah, you get cut off at the end of the third quarter. <laughs> exactly. But you, you, you need to go in and record the, the second program. You know, we've seen that on so many occasions. And when you watch the sport over here on our, on our TV, you, you learn to do that. But yeah, a bit of better planning from the, you know, the cable provider's point of view. We're getting really picky. You know, it it was not so long ago we said, I'll just put the TV on, you know, give us NBA on TV. And now we're telling them to program it properly. You know, we're just, we're fickle. We, yeah, I think that's from a couple of tweets I saw on our Twitter account. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. They, they could plan it better, but you get, get the program afterwards, series link that and well, and you, you know, you won't miss anything. Yeah, it didn't actually help that in this game too, between the Clippers and the Thunder, the uh, lights went out for about, well, well, 10 minutes, almost Super Bowl esque, although we didn't have a, you know, nearly an hour delay like they did in the Super Bowl. Um, that was an interesting moment and, co- you know, kind of ironic considering the name of the arena they were in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's not like it's energy based or anything. Um, but the Thunder won this one. They won it 112 to 101. They tie the series at 1-1 going back to Los Angeles at the weekend. And it, it's been, you know, just such, you can't, you can't pick a winner from this series. We just talked about game one. It was all the Clippers. It was all Chris Paul. Game two was all Russell Westbrook and all Kevin Durant. And, you know, the fact that he had it, had the MVP speech and the awards and everything given out just before this must have helped them massively because they kind of just asserted themselves and they kind of shot the lights out, if you excuse the pun. Yeah. The, uh, the, the motivation were, was key on this particular one. And from comparing game two to game one, the one thing that I thought was um, very apparent was Westbrook's shot selection. In game one, he was rushing his shots. He wasn't taking his time. He was shooting from very awkward angles that you wouldn't normally you know, associate with Westbrook shooting from. And I think that was just because the Clippers were running them ragged. Whereas this one, the momentum was with the Thunder. They had time to get into their groove. And Westbrook was able have better shot selection and picking when he should be passing and picking when he wants to go and do his teardrop and play in his jumpers. And I think that was the big difference. And that's what we need to see more of in Westbrook. If the thunder want to progress further and that is just better shot selection from him. And that place was loud, like from the MVP chance before the tip off throughout the game. I've never heard that place that loud. And we go on about how it's probably one of the best, you know, if not the best home court advantage in the NBA. And it was ridiculous how loud it was. They have to actually pad the mics in the arena to, uh, you know, dull the noise. But an incredible game. Kevin Durant was absolutely electric. He, he scored 32 points off 10 for 22. Um, he had 12 rebounds, nine assists and two steals. And that's his best game statistically of the postseason so far. Westbrook, you just mentioned, was incredible. Recorded a triple-double. Um, 31 points off 13 for 22, 10 rebounds, 10 assists and three steals in 41 minutes of play. And it was just those two. And when those two play like that, and I said it earlier, you can't beat this Thunder team. And 
if those two play like that and they get good good team contributions, which they did last night, and Sergio Barker and Cephalosha both had 14 points each, I think it was. And even Kendrick Perkins came in and had nine rebounds and eight points, I think. So, that, do you know what? That put a smile on my face because you look all... They ran a play for Perk at the, at the start of the third quarter. <laughs> you all beat on him. But yeah, yeah, he came out and he had he had a solid performance, I thought. Even Steve Kerr was like, did they just run a play for... <laughs> it's like, yes, they did, <laughs> amazingly enough. Um, and the Thunder, you know, they, they got so many open looks in the paint that it was just so one-sided. DeAndre Jordan for the Clippers was really kind of minimal, didn't have a big impact at all, and he's been dominant throughout the playoffs so far when the Clippers have won games. Um, he is an all-star defensive talent as well, so it's a bit of a shock when he has a tough game. But the Clippers conceded 15 offensive rebounds, and that's not like them. You know, They didn't follow up on their missed shots, and Blake Griffin and DeAndre are usually in there grabbing some form of you know offensive boards back and, and giving, a, giving them a second chance opportunity. But they didn't get a lot of that the other night. Um, there was an offensive foul called in the third quarter on uh, DeAndre Jordan. And I just want to pick this out because Westbrook kind of reacted like he'd scored the winning goal in the World Cup final. It was so funny. He was on the floor, like, wriggling his arms and shaking his fists. And the emotion in that arena that night was just unbelievable. And we are going to have one heck of a series. You're right. I think the one thing that we need to be mindful of is fatigue. And I'm reckoning... Now, I'm not trying to, to, to stick up for DeAndre Jordan's sort of performance in that game, but both of these teams have gone through a game seven series. You know, they, they're already knackered and that, you know, that's going to play a lot. And, you know, we're sounding like a bit of a bust record and I'm already getting that excuse out for my Spurs. Um, but it, it's, it's a fact, you know, when you come to playoff, the tempo is such, higher that the physicality is is much more intense and having to go through a game seven they're just going to be mentally and physically drained and i think that's kind of what what came in for deandre jordan there as long as steven adams keeps getting in fights with blake griffin and trying to punch chris paul in the head you know this is going to be a fun series (laughs) there's been a lot of that there's been a lot of that you know the spurs and mavericks we had a altercation in there I'm trying to think which other series had a bit of fisticuffs in it as well. It escapes me just now, but yeah. Nene, Nene and Butler. That was it. Bulls yeah. in the first round. Yeah. Lots of fighting going on. That's <laughs> <laughs> playoff intensity. Um, we'll move on to the Wizards and the Pacers. Uh, game one between those two took place in Indiana. Uh, the Wizards won that one 102 to 96. And, you know, that scoreline doesn't really kind of do it justice because for a lot of the game, it was the Pacers. And, uh, yeah, John Wall just stunning again. The, the Pacers were, were, well, were basically cold when it came to shooting the ball that night. And the Wizards just kept up the same sort of routine and the same play style that had, you know, done them so well in that 4-1 series win in Chicago. So business as usual for the Washington, really. On that particular game, yeah, you're, you're right. And they, I, I think there's going to be another, you know, another good matchup. I, I did have, uh, the Wizards progressing to all the way through to the, the conference finals personally, just because, you know, the, the way they, they dominated Chicago, I, I actually, I genuinely thought Atlanta would, would, uh, do out the, get the paces and they came so close to doing so. And from, from that point of view, from a Wizards Atlanta matchup, that's kind of where I went with that. But in this series, I don't, I don't know where we're going to call it because the the paces have blown so hot and cold it's unbelievable george and hibbert in particular you know it's just where where is 
the the sort of consistency that we've seen with the Pacers, and it just sums up their second half performance of the season, really. Well, it, it was funny that night because Roy Hibbert had zero points and zero rebounds, and his stretch just continues. But he did recover it, and we'll get onto his uh, recovery later. But spoilers, <laughs> yeah. Drew, Drew Drew Gooden, who was a guy who was signed to a ten day contract during the regular season, had twelve points and 13 rebounds off the bench and he's not a good basketball player (laughs) and he had that much of an impact on this series I think it's just going to come from unexpected people Trevor Ariza went six for six from downtown that won't happen again or probably won't happen again and you know it was an an unbelievable game really Bradley Beal he yeah all right he airballed a free throw at the end of the third quarter but he was dominant for, throughout the whole game. 25 points, 7 boards, 7 assists, 5 steals as well. And that's what you want. And when him and John Wall are playing that well, nobody can beat the Wizards because they've got great paint presence. Nene and Gortat are fantastic. They're great at cutting and slashing and causing havoc in the paint. They're fantastic at posting, you know, up, posting up fellow big men. And when Hibbert had such an off game like he did that night, it was kind of one-sided. And... That night, they actually combined for 27 points and 21 rebounds and five blocks between them. And Frank Vogel came out at the end of the game and actually said they were manhandled. And he has a point, really. Well, that's exactly what they've done to the Bulls. You know, Nene completely dominated Noah in in that series. And he's going to do that again. You know, Hibbert needs to to be mindful of that and, and, and watch out for it coming. And I... Providing that Nene can keep his cool, I think he's going to be as key to the Wizards as, as Wolves going to be. You know, granted he's not going to be putting up the same sort of numbers, but the fact that he's getting in there bullying and making the shots for these players—that's what's going to be key for them. Gortat put it in on a uh, dunk show as well mid-game. Some nice Polish hammer dunks going in there. To quote Shaquille O'Neal, <laughs> it was a really interesting game, but I think the series you, you can't really tell and the fact that you know game two the pace has tied it because they won that one 86 82 kind of throws everything up in the air again because the wizards looked so great in game one it didn't look great in game two um roy hibbert turned up i don't know where he's been for the last couple of weeks but and and that's the thing you know it comes back to that consistency point of view if if we were looking at a consistent Pacers versus a consistent Wizards, you're probably thinking Pacers are going to win that. Yeah. But the fact is, you don't know what Pacers team or players are going to turn up on any given night. As you mentioned, game one, zero points, zero boards. But yet, yeah, <laughs> game two, 28 points and nine boards. You know, even if you split those values over the two games, it's going to give you a better performance. I don't recall any player any starter that posted zero points and zero boards. It's, you just don't hear of those sort of things happening. But yeah, he had a rude awakening. And as you mentioned, he turned up and that was the difference. And, you know, is he going to turn up for game three or is he going to go back to being anonymous again? Well, this game was remarkably similar to some of the games that the Wizards played against the Bulls. A lot of those were close. They had to come back and fight for the wins they got in Chicago and they were right in this game until the very end. And George Hill ended up stripping the ball in the last couple of minutes, I think it was. And that basically sealed the game from then on. But when Roy Hibbert plays as well as he played the other night, and it wasn't pretty. Like, it was dirty, dirty ba- basketball. He was just throwing in rebounds and chucking shots up and just hoping things were going in. 
he wasn't running set plays or, you know, using screens or anything like that. He was just getting himself in the way because he's such a lump that any team in the league's going to have problems with him when he's trying to do that. And I think for Washington, they crashed the offensive boards really well, but they only managed to get two buckets off those second chance, uh, second chances. And that needs to be better, especially against the Pacers because they like to slow down the game. And obviously an 86, 82 scoreline kind of suits them. So. I, this series is not over because I, you just can't tell what either team's going to do. The Wizards could come out in the next game and stink. I mean, we've, we saw it in the regular season. They had a, an up and down regular season with a load of injuries and it, it's going to be inter- really interesting to see what happens in game three because I think if Indiana can take a 2-1 lead, then they might suddenly just think, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, we are quite good. <laughs> yeah, remember us. <laughs> yeah, we're back. <laughs> Anyway, speaking of the team that is definitely back, um, Andy San Antonio Spurs, an unbelievable performance in game one against the Portland Trailblazers. That was, that was a statement. It was I ridiculous. Remember. It wasn't even a basketball game. It was like a bend over arse slap. It was, it was Tony Parker coming out off the back of a 30 point game in game seven and posting up another 30 point game. He, since he's returned from his sprained ankle, he has really, really been just playing how everybody knows he can play and, you know, sort of Tony Parker from five or six years ago. But it's it's not only that. Everybody's getting involved in the game. You know, Kawhi Leonard, is, I, I thought, has been pretty good. It, if I'm being harsh, my one disappointment has been... Ben, ben, start again. My one disappointment has been Bellinelli. You know, three-point <laughs> shooting champion... But yeah, he's not getting many looks. He's not making many buckets, and he needs to bring something else to the game. You know, they they rely on Bonner for his three point shooting, but yet he doesn't bring much other offensive presence. You know, he he needs to develop a game in the paint or a long range two point shot. You know, it's it, it's that there's they've been the two sort of low lights for me. But everybody else, Paddy Mills has been great when he's been coming on to give Parker a rest. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. <laughs> oi, 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 indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Ginobili, you know, there's there's not much you can say about him. Yeah, he's just one of those players that, that comes on and just gives it your all. And I, I think, as we've mentioned earlier on in the show, the bench is going to be key here and also giving some of our starters a rest because they are pushing it <laughs> in terms of their age. You know, they've they've been there forever. Timmy D's 38 years old now. The, the, the boy needs a rest. So, providing we can get get them rested, um, I still think I'm good for getting them all the way to the finals. But you never know what's going to happen if if Portland come out and play the physical game. Then we're, we just need to wait and see how it goes. Yeah, the problem is I don't think Portland can play that physical game. I don't think they have the the players on that team capable of doing it. I don't think Aldridge has got the ability to to you know defensively outwit someone like Tim Duncan. You look at Kawhi Leonard; he was superb the other night. Um, and when they combine, you've got sort of Tony Barker, uh, Tony Barker, uh, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan and Kawhi Leonard all combining really early on in the game and just scoring at will. You're in trouble. And when the bench does what the Spurs bench has been doing, then they're going to be one of the most unstoppable teams in the playoffs because you can't afford, you can't, you know, account for that production coming off the bench because most teams don't expect it and they don't plan for it. Um, the big thing for me was, the way the Spurs just basically stopped the lifeblood of the Blazers, which was the perimeter shooting for them. They've been fantastic all season. They've averaged 25.3 threes a game. And 
the Spurs just took them out of it. They wouldn't let them do it. I think Portland only took three throughout the whole game. He didn't score any. And that's incredible, considering when you come off of that first round series where it was, you know, throw as many threes up as you can every night, to go into this game and not score a single one against the Spurs, who perimeter defense is not as elite as it probably has been in the past, but they just took nothing. And the Spurs were all over them from the off. They never trailed. And this was kind of finished by the end of the second quarter, really. <laughs> and that, that's what San Antonio needs to do, because it, we noticed in this as, as well with the Mavericks that the Spurs will build up a 10 to 15 point lead. And then they start to get fatigued and, and slow down and the, the other teams come back into it. So we saw that at the beginning of the third. We saw Portland coming back and chipping into that lead. But then San Antonio had their breather and then went back onto it and extended it some more. So they're, uh, providing that we can get a, a solid first half performance from the Spurs, it allows them to just take their foot off the gas a little bit in the third, um, which is, you know, if you watch any of the games in the regular season, that that's kind of what they've done. You, you see teams going on a, a you know, an eight and zero or a ten and two run purely because, you know, San Antonio just having that little bit of a respite and then they just come back and get their act together and, and dominate is what we've seen. So it's, it's been good. I think, um, Baines has been quite good. His, his second, uh, second chance, um, offensive perimeter shooting and grabbing of those boards have been great. It's, he's been, he's been all over the place. You know, I've not seen a big man like that. You know, you can also almost compare him to the likes of Bosch. Being able to see what he, where he, when he's playing with his confidence, just be able to grab that shot and you know how many big men do you really see is almost out on the perimeter taking the jumper. Yeah, and I think the coaching in this game, in the, well, in this series is going to be massive because Greg has been there and has done it and has won championships with the Spurs team in his past. His ability to manage minutes is unlike anybody else's in the league. He's absolutely incredible at doing it, and I think already, I mean, I know the first rounds are over and we've got many more games to come, but. For me, the the best coaching matchup of the playoffs we've already seen, and that was Rick Carlisle versus Greg Popovich in round one of the Spurs and the Mavericks. And I think those those two guys know how to coach their teams. If their team's down and out, they they take their players off. They bench them. They don't carry on trying to win. You kind of saw the opposite from the Blazers. Terry Stotts just got the Blazers going. You know, they didn't come off. They fought back. They tried to fight back. And even though the game was effectively over and everybody knew it was over, he kept them on the court. And when they're young and athletic like they are, why not do that? But it could end up being their Achilles heel come, you know, game four or game five when it's going to be really heads or tails as to whether or not they feel physically capable of playing basketball for as long as they do, especially if some of these games go to overtime because it is a distinct possibility. I mean, we all know what happened between the Warriors and the Spurs last year. I was going to say, you know, because overtime hasn't happened in the first round, has it? <laughs> you know, but it, you're, you're right. It does. It does come down to that coaching and, and being able to realize how um, and when to rest your starters. Because when we talk about the next game, you know, if if you look at the fourth quarter, there, the, you know, a lot of the starters were being rested for exactly the same reasons. There's there's a different mindset and mentality when it comes to playoff basketball. It's it's not just a one on one match. You got to think of it from a, a five or six or potentially a seven game series and. That just shows you the, the golfing difference and the experience 
from having playoff basketball. So the final game we've got to cover for the evening was the Nets at the Miami Heat. And this is going to be a really interesting series because the Nets swept the Miami Heat during the regular season 4-0. But that meant nothing to the Miami Heat, who won the first game 107-86 in front of their home crowd. And uh, Mark Jackson, not not that Mark Jackson, a different Mark Jackson on Twitter put, it's a battle of the worst fan bases in the NBA, but hopefully it'll be a good series. So here's to, here's to optimism for you. That's a little bit harsh. Uh, <laughs> the worst yeah. fan bases in the NBA. Ooh, God. Yeah. That could cause a bit of a stir. Well, just a little bit. So it, it was pretty close throughout the first half. I mean, early on, both teams kind of traded buckets. It was sort of the usual affair between these two. But Miami did what they so often do, and they pulled away in the third. They extended themselves defensively, and they basically just got in the passing lanes and messed up the Nets' flow. Um, LeBron James was the catalyst to all this, obviously. 22 points off 10 for 15 shooting on, on the night. Dwayne Wade was a little less explosive. He ended up finishing with 14 points, making 7 of 13. And he, he really ran the bench unit, you know, fantastically when LeBron was on the bench. Chris Bosch contributed the much-needed double-double because, you know, they do solely lack rebounds the Miami Heat but he went for 15 and 11 on the boards and then we had Ray Allen just sort of you know turning up again and doing what Ray Allen has done so often for so many years now um, he ended up finishing with 19 points 4 rebounds and 3 assists in just 26 minutes on the court making 4 of his 7 threes so big production from some of the bench guys for the Miami Heat but all of this is you know heavily on the shoulders of the big 3 and my god they looked good they did, but I think, you know, when, when you talk about the bench, the Birdman needs to get a bit Bird of a mention. Man, he, he was great in, in not only with his shot blocking, but dominating the boards as well. I, I thought he had one of his best games that I've seen for a long time. But as, as we mentioned at, at the end of the sort of Blazers Spurs game, if you were to watch this game or even check out the highlights, you'll notice that Pierce, Garnett, Williams and all of that, they were rested for the majority of the fourth quarter because Miami pulled away with, with such flair and finesse and they didn't really have an answer for them. And that's including Darren Williams hitting some three-point buzzer beaters at the end of, I think it was the first and the third quarters or it might have been the second and the third quarters, I can't quite remember, but doing what Darren Williams does best. But they, they didn't really have an answer for LeBron and, and Wade. And I thought that considering that we had Pierce and Garnett bullying the Heat when they won the championship a few seasons ago. I thought that experience would have carried over and they would have been able to to guard these players. But I'm I'm thinking maybe something is lacking there from a defensive strategy for the Nets and maybe Bron has sort of developed his game in those last couple of years and since that 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 um a finals appearance with the Celtics. So I I don't think this is going to be a sweep by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I don't see the Nets giving the Heat too much of a trouble, to be perfectly honest. I think the fact that the Nets were taken to seven games by the Raptors is going to be massive for them because they did not need that. They are, well, I think they're the oldest team in the league, aren't they? So they, they do not need to go seven games in the first round to a, to a young, you know, athletic team like the Raptors. And they end up facing Miami, who had almost a week's rest before they ended up meeting these guys. So just the typical Miami Heat performance. And we've seen it so often from LeBron and Wade and Bosch in the big three era. 
they just turn it on in the third quarter. I don't know what it is. There's just something about them, whether they have some sort of Michael Jordan, Space Jav style magic stuff at halftime. Jaffa cakes. Jaffa cakes, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, they send the license fleas to... <laughs> they just go um, mental in the third quarter and the Heat didn't waste any possessions. They were they were so clinical with everything they did, setting pick and rolls and screening the ball and playing some fantastic team basketball very much like the Spurs I think they they look very similar at the moment these two teams and considering they both played seven games in the finals last year I think it's it, it's on course to be possibly another matchup between those two but the big thing for me was the fact that LeBron James and Wade and Bosch were were talking and communicating throughout the whole game they were doing what Paul Pierce and Kevin, uh, Kevin Garnett did for so long playing in Boston together you know we didn't really see that from the Nets whereas LeBron was all over people, you know, if, if Chalmers made a mistake, he was in his face and we've seen that so much. But the communication between these guys, and I think we can class them all as probably veteran players now. I mean, it doesn't matter how young LeBron James is. He's got the, the knowledge and the IQ of a veteran basketball player. So I think the fact that the communication and the, and the talking between these guys was so vocal and the fact that you could actually hear it on the television and you don't hear that very often especially when the arenas are quite loud but then again according to Mark Jackson they're the worst fans in the league so that's probably why it was a bit quiet and you could hear everything <laughs> I, I just think that that shows you that the chemistry that's there you know we, we did mention at the you know the beginning of the season and earlier on that you know this next team needs to build on that chemistry and I think that was that's the sort of thing that, that you're alluding to just here is that you've got the heat all talking, all communicating. And, you know, the, the Nets just seem to be lacking a little bit of that at this moment in time. Yeah. And I think that a lot of these series that we've mentioned are going to be really difficult to call because some of the matchups are just so tight. You look at the players involved, you know, Damian Lillard, LaMarcus Aldridge versus Tim Duncan and Tony Parker. You've got John Wall and Bradley Beal versus, you know, George Hill and Lance Stevenson of the Pacers. There's so many great individual talents on these teams. I think we're just going to be in for another incredible round of, of playoff basketball because the Nets and the Heat don't like each other. They've made that perfectly clear. There's no way the Heat are going to sweep the Nets. The Nets will take something. I don't think going into Brooklyn is going to be as easy as people are saying it could be. The Blazers and the Spurs, I mean, a lot of people jumped on the Blazers bandwagon. I'm not. I think the Spurs have got this because I just think that the fact that they can defend so much better than the Blazers can is going to be the key to this series. And then the Wizards and the Pacers is so unpredictable, like we said, and the Clippers and the Thunder game is just going to be like watching... It's going to be like watching the Clippers... Uh, not the Clippers, sorry, the uh, the Warriors versus the Thunder regular season games where, you know, two out of three of them, I think, went to overtime or something ridiculous so it's going to be mental this next round of playoff games it's going to be very physical that's for sure it's going to be quick let's pace get and... physical <laughs> did you really go there <laughs> <laughs> i went there it's it's 11 past 12 on a friday morning of course i went there <clears throat> celebration for frankie probably i'm getting drunk right now yeah yeah let's look out for that on twitter <laughs> Anyway, people, we hope you've enjoyed our rather random show today. We had quite a lot to cover, so we hope we've managed to fit it in in hopefully less than an hour. Um, looks like less than an hour to me on my clock. Um, you can find the website. The website is doubleclutchpodcast.co.uk. You can get involved in the conversation with fellow playoff uh, fans and watchers on Twitter using hashtag MENUK. 
and loads of people have been using that recently. It's pretty cool to see. Andy was using it when he was over in New Orleans and everyone's been, you know, bantering back and forth about who's got the best fans in the NBA and bloody blah, blah blah. So it's definitely worth checking out. Um, there's been some good articles go up recently on the blog from Jack and from Thomas. So check those out. Um, James did a really, really good article on, um, Adam Silver and how he's sort of become sort of, you know, the league's or the people's commissioner. Sorry. So it's definitely worth checking out. Um, the Twitter's at double clutch UK. All of us use that now. And when we tweet, we are now going to initial our tweets. So if Andy tweets it, it'll say AD at the end. If I tweet it, it'll say MW. And if Frankie tweets it, it'll say FH. Not that Frankie ever uses Twitter, but I thought Frankie was going to say I'm drunk. <laughs> but you just, just because you know we we don't all share the same opinions with regards to who's the best players and who's the best teams and blah blah blah. So if we put those initials on the end, then you know who's tweeting. Um, the Lipson move went really smooth, and it, you know we can see accurate download figures and stuff now. So if you if you are listening, please do subscribe on iTunes. Hopefully, we'll be able to get up on Stitcher and things like that soon. I, I haven't had a look into it yet, but we are available through direct download. Um, the Facebook is facebook.com slash double clutch podcast. Please review us on iTunes. We really appreciate our iTunes reviews and all of them get shouted out. So it's definitely worth, um, checking the iTunes page out. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting, uh, week, hopefully, because my internet's getting installed next Friday. 150 meg fiber optic. Ooh, shiny. Um, welcome to the club welcome to the club yeah (laughs) hopefully once that's installed we'll be able to get podcasting regularly because it's kind of awkward trying to arrange everything if not then Frankie and Bates and somebody others might bring you another show in between then but hopefully we'll catch you before this uh, second round uh, finishes because you know we're in for a heck of a a week of basketball and I just can't wait for the finals now really it's just it's just going to be so so intense and so amazing. I just wish we could be there. Yes, you and me both. Oh well, we have our lives to lead. <laughs> True, and um, if if things go according to plan, I will probably be in the US on work for the finals. Oh, so you'll get all the best coverage. Oh yeah, God, that's what I'm looking it. forward to. <laughs> <laughs> you'll actually get to watch TNT and not have League Pass adverts every five seconds. <laughs> Here's Stephen Curry playing with some kids again. Ooh, yay! High five. <laughs> anyway, people, um, use hashtag UK. We do try and read out as many tweets as possible. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast, and we'll catch you soon. Bye bye. Hi, it's Peter Vetti. You're listening to Double Clutch Podcast. Don't believe anything these guys say. <laughs>